following message is presented by Community Gospel Church in Bremen, Indiana. It is our great privilege to share this ministry with you. We in no way intend for this to be a replacement for the local church. It is our prayer that this would serve as a resource to help make Jesus Christ known in our congregation and other congregations gathering across the world. For more information about Community Gospel Church, visit www.communitygospelchurch.com. Have you ever been in a situation where you feel like you had it all figured out? Your parents, you guys ever feel that way? Got them all, got them all figured out, and then they turn 12. <laughs> Maybe it's a, a job or, or another earthly endeavor. You, you feel like you have it all figured out. You worked hard. You made wise decisions. You felt like you achieved that success, and then all of a sudden, like, just the bottom just came out. And you found yourself in a situation where you were like, how did we get here? I was basking in my glory at one moment, and then all of a sudden, everything came crashing down. How did I get here? Well, the proverb says pride comes before the fall, so that might be part of it. But the story is really familiar because we've all been in that situation. We've all been in a place where we thought we had something figured out, and then everything crashed And we looked at our definition of success and wondered, is my definition of success the same definition that God has of success? I know what it looks like in earthly realms to be successful, but what does it look like in God's eyes to be successful? And here comes Deuteronomy chapter 8, and it's a reminder that every success that we have, whether it's big or small, is from the Lord. The reason our world comes crashing down often is because we have taken our eyes off of Christ and we put them on ourselves. The medical world loves to diagnose and to give medication for lack of success or problems. And we're not excluding the fact that there are some chemical imbalances out there in the world. But sometimes we're too quick to go into that which is secular Because we've removed ourselves from that which is sacred. And so here, whether we have big successes or small successes, they are all from the Lord. And we have to realize that it is our job to keep our eyes fixated on him and giving all the praise and adoration to him. Whether he gives us much or he takes it all away, our opportunity and obligation is to worship him in good times and bad and make sure that we are not becoming filled with pride or focusing on ourselves. Really, the summary of all that is in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18. Majority of us have an English standard version of the Bible in front of us. But the New Living Translation version of the Bible really brings this to a great summary. He says, remember the Lord your God, for he is the one who gives you the power to be successful. Remember the Lord your God, because he is the one who gave you the power to be successful. And let me tell you right now, success in the eyes of the world does not look like success in the eyes of the word. As a matter of fact, oftentimes they're very, very different. So my goal today is to look at Deuteronomy chapter 8 
Realize that this is the text. This is what it says. We either conform to it or we don't. We either worship ourselves or we worship our Savior. And as we look at this text, we want to be successful in the eyes of the Lord. So what does that look like? How am I supposed to be successful in the eyes of the Lord? And there's a lot of verses in here, so we're probably not going to read all of them, but you can read them as we talk this morning. The first 10 verses on how to be successful in the eyes of the Lord speak to being humble. Speak to being humble. Be humble. And if you already are humble, then stay humble. (laughs) Because so many of us are like, I'm the most humble person I know. Verse 1 and 2. The whole commandment that I command you today is that you shall be careful to do that you may live and multiply and go and possess the land that the Lord swore to give your fathers. Follow the promises of God, and you shall remember the whole way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, that he might, ready for this, humble you, that he might test you to know what is in your heart. The Israelites are constantly and continually reminded of God's promises of life and blessings. Now, if this is your first Sunday and you just punched into the Deuteronomy series, here's what's happening, all right? Israelites wandered around a desert for 40 years, and then um, God used that time to kind of help them see who they really truly were. And then Moses, the leader, looks at it and he says, This generation is not going into the promised land. I'm not going with you. Joshua is, and the next generation is, and they need to recommit and recovet themselves with the Lord. And so the older generation says, well, then why did we go through all that? Why did we go through this wilderness endeavor? And Moses just gave them the reason. He says, that time that you went through the wilderness was designed to test and produce two things. One, obedience, which is humility. That's our word of the year this year. And two, faith and trust. The same is true for us today. Everything you're going through right now in your life is designed to do those two things. It is to produce obedience. Will you follow the Lord or will you follow yourself and trust in the Lord? Look at verse 8 or chapter 8 verse 2. God led you these 40 years in the wilderness that he might humble you, testing you to know what is in your heart. So Moses kind of gives us this model to stay humble for the Israelites then for us as believers today. Number one, be obedient. Verse three, in the book of Exodus, God humbled Israel by showing them just how low they were by providing this manna. If you look at verse three, it says, God humbled you and led you to hunger and he fed you with manna. And by the way, manna is not around anymore for good reason. Nobody wants to eat manna, okay? God did that for you, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know that he might make you, ready for this, that man does not live on bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes out of the mouth of the Lord. What does he mean by that? Well, Moses is saying that God has given Israel manna by his word. Now, here's the crazy thing about manna. Ready for this? The Israelites got a little, like, overzealous with manna. And so what they would do is they would store it up, and God says, you're only supposed to pick enough for that day. And they would say, no, we're going to pick more than that, and we're going to store them up in our barns and our houses and all these other things. And it would mold, and it would rot. 
And God looked at Israel, he says, how's that working out? And they said, not so good. So he only gave them what was needed for their day. He gave it to them by his word. In other words, manna didn't keep them alive. God kept them alive. Manna, if you want to circle that word there, is a symbol for God's word. Now let's jump from the Old Testament to the New Testament. You don't have to turn here, but this is why Jesus refused Satan's temptation to turn stones into bread in the wilderness in Matthew chapter 4. He looks at Satan who is tempting him, and Jesus knew that God hadn't commanded these stones for his food. In other words, Jesus knows that God the Father provides food in his time and in his ways. Some of us who are gathered here today, you're forcing the hand of God because you're trying to get God to do things your way and not his way. And God's like, no, 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 we're, we're walking through the wilderness. It's not the destination, it's the journey. And so he looks at this and he says Jesus' mission, which is a model for us, was to simply be obedient and let God provide the rest. Pray, let God's word speak, and then be faithful to following that word. Look at verse 4. He says, Your clothing did not wear out on you. Your foot did not swell these 40 years. Know then in your heart that as a man disciplines his son, the Lord God disciplines you. That's a good thing. Discipline is a good thing. Parents, discipline is a good thing. Amen? Over-discipline, not so much. That's called abuse. But discipline is a good thing. Some parents need to discipline their kids a little more than what they're disciplining them right now, okay? Obedience was also, though, look at verse 5. So the Lord, or he says, knowing then in your heart that a man's discipline is his son, the Lord God disciplines you. Six, so you shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. Now notice, obedience comes before the promised land. Anybody want to testify to that? Obedience comes before the promised land. God declares his word. Israel trusts via obedience. God blesses as he sees fit. The the first two steps are the most important two steps. God declares, Israel obeys, then the blessing comes. And the blessing is how God wants to bless, not how we want him to bless. God's desire is obedience comes before the blessing. And the blessing sometimes is earthly and sometimes it's eternal. In Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 6, it says, You shall keep the commandments of the Lord your God by walking in his ways and fearing him. We walk in God's ways all the time, and we look at it saying, but God, you're not blessing my life. I've prayed to you. I've read my Bible to you. I've talked to you. I have Christian friends. I have all of these things figured out, and why are you not making me rich? Why are my friends not worshiping me? Why do I not get promotions at work? And he's like, your focus is off. We have to go back to the fact that God declares, you obey, And then leave it up to him. That's obedience. God said it. I'm doing it. Regardless of the outcome that transpires. Because sometimes the outcome that can transpire is pain, suffering, problems, all of those things. You want some good examples? Go back, ask Daniel in the Old Testament how it worked out for him to be obedient. Ask Joseph how it worked out for him to be obedient. Ask Jesus how it worked out for him to be obedient. All the way up to obedience on the cross. Sometimes obedience means suffering, but it's not a bad thing. God's people have always been a people of suffering, and in suffering we find 
the reward of the Lord. Then, verse 7, be faithful. Moses is modeled to stay humble. Be obedient and then be faithful. God didn't give you what you wanted. Doesn't matter. You're still to be faithful to him. The real test of Israel's obedience would come when they entered the promised land. And this is the problem. Would they worship the Lord or the things in which God provided? This is the problem with getting the blessings of God. Amen? Because we get the blessings of God, and then we take our eyes off of God, and our faithfulness deteriorates. If Israel put their focus on God's word, God's going to take care of all of their needs via the promised land. Now, verse 7, 8, and 9 are all descriptions of the promised land. Materialism was not to be the reason for Israel's obedience. It was to be an outcome of their faithfulness, showing how God would provide. They were simply to be obedient because it was commanded, regardless of what they'd obtained. You want to make it simple to understand? God looks at them and says, I want you to follow me. Israel looks back at them and says, why should I follow you? And he says, because I said so. So, mom, dad, ready for this? That's a good reason for your kids to follow what you are instructing them. Because I said so works. If your kids look at you and say, that's not a good reason, you look at them and say, God did it in Deuteronomy chapter 8. If it's good enough for him, it's good enough for me. Believers become free from the love of money and things when the focus is on obedience. If God said it, I'll do it. If not, they get deceived and they run to all kinds of evil. Now, Jesus warns about this. Look at Luke chapter 12 as well as Matthew chapter 6. It's going to be on the slide here. It says, watch out and be on guard against all kinds of greed. You know what that first sentence is all about? Discipline. How do you watch out and be on guard? You discipline yourself. A man's life does not consist of the abundance of his possessions, As we were singing, I surrender all, I was reminded of a professor in college. He would start the class with that, and then he said out loud after we were done singing, he said, how many of you guys sang, I surrender some, I surrender some, actually just a little bit. It's hard, right? Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, do not store up yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. You cannot serve God and money. So a lot of us look at these passages and we say, well, Jesus doesn't want us to have anything then, right? I should live in poverty. That's not the point. That's not the point of the text. It's when the things that are created become as important as the creator is the problem. It's been said, a forgetful heart is a disobedient heart, but a faithful heart is one that is focused on obeying the commands of the Lord, his word, his will, and his ways. To be faithful is to be obedient, and to be obedient is to be faithful. See James chapter 1. Every good thing given, every perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of lights with whom there's no variation or shifting shadow. Paul says it this way. He says, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be. If God's going to give me a lot, great. If God's not going to give me a lot, great. Look at Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 10. He says, And you shall eat and be full with what you have, 
And you shall bless the Lord your God for the good land he has given to you. In other words, Moses is saying God's not against material things. It's when they get between you and him, that's when it's the problem because God's biggest enemy is an idol. And if the focus is off and it's off the Lord, then so is your faithfulness. Now, what's interesting in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 10, it's the same thing that Jesus says in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So, Pastor Jordan, can you get real practical with me? Absolutely, 100%. Five marks of a humble believer. Ready for this? I'm going to give them to you real quick. Number one, a humble believer is constantly dependent upon Christ and Christ alone. This is the definition, part A, of success. As a believer, you are focused solely on the reality that everything you have, all your time, all your talents, all your abilities come from the Lord. Everything that God gives is a gift. I'm dependent upon him and him alone. How many people woke up overseas just a few weeks ago and thought, this is going to be a great day, we have all this stuff planned, and then boom, their entire world was radically transformed. And we're naive if we think that can't happen to us. Because moments can change quickly. Two, humble believers practice gratitude. It's not enough just to know you're grateful. You practice it. Believers express gratitude to God for every blessing in their life. I ask my kids this all the time. Did you pray for your lunch at school? Answer all the time, I forgot. Who gave you that food? Well, you did, Mom and Dad. No, 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 God did. So we constantly take moments out of our day practicing gratitude. People are naturally negative because they focus on the negative. But believers, we realize that everything's been given for our good, and so we give God every blessing back. Three, humble believers practice that gratitude by serving others. We put our needs before our own in all things. The definition of love is seeking the other person's best. Just try it today. See how well you do. Come back next week in the prayer of confession. You can say amen. It's super hard to do this because serving others is not just the person who's sitting next to me. It's not just my spouse. It's not just my kids. It's anyone who has a need in which I am able to meet. I am to serve that person. It doesn't matter who I come in contact with, when I come in contact with them. How can I make you successful in the eyes of the Lord? Four, humble believers study their Bible. They realize that they need help. And this is what makes us humble. The reason why we constantly go back to our word as believers is because we know that we need help. That it is not, every, everything that we do on our own is by ourselves, but we need help. The Israelites, if they were here today and we could pile them into the church, they would be like, that is so true. We needed to study God's word more and put it into practice, which is the fifth thing. Humble believers pray without ceasing. They're constantly asking God for guidance in everything. No decision as a believer should be made quickly. If you cannot stop, pause, pray, ponder, and think, then maybe the decision doesn't need to be made. When we get ourselves into situations where decisions need to be made quickly, we have to ask ourselves, how did I get here and what do I need to do? 
to step back, to refocus, and realize what God is asking me to do. This is exactly what seeking first the kingdom of God looks like. This is success in the eyes of the Lord. You can wake up tomorrow morning and pray those five things. God, help me depend on you. Help me to be grateful for what you've given, for what you've taken away. Help me to serve my fellow brothers and sisters in Christ and my community that's entrusted to my care. Help me to understand the word that I'm studying today. I'm going to reread your Bible, uh, what we talked about yesterday, or the 365-day Bible reading plan. And help me to pray in all things. Put these things into practice. That is humility 101. According to the psalmist, in Psalm chapter 23, you lack nothing when you're humbly obedient to God in this way. He says, he is my shepherd, in him I do not want. Verse 11. But what happens is, you start to become humble, this is hard, and then once you become humble, you become kind of prideful about your humility. Anybody ever been there before? You kind of get excited about all the things that just transpired and took place. And you go, God, man, that's great. I'm doing a fantastic job. He says in verse 11, Take care lest you forget the Lord your God by not keeping his commandments and his rules and his statutes, which I have commanded you today. So we got to eliminate our pride. Israel's lack of humility made them prideful. In other words, when life's filled with abundance, it's easy to forget the Lord. And that's when our hearts begin to wander. We become prideful. So how do I avoid pride? Verse 14. First things first. I got to keep my heart in the right place. I feel like I constantly have to keep myself in check. You guys ever, am I alone up here in this? Like Israelites become consumed with materialism. They stop praising the Lord because their heart becomes proud in abundance of all these things. And then they become prideful. They didn't put their heart in check. You don't have to turn there, but Hosea Chapter 13, verse 6 says, When they grazed, they became full, and when they were filled, their heart was lifted up, and they forgot me. They forgot how God worked in the past. They forgot the deliverance of Israel in Egypt. They forgot, verse 15 and 16, their time in the wilderness. When their hearts became hardened, they became prideful people, failing to remember how God provided in the basic things. If you wonder how this is possible, just ask anybody who's ever struggled with any sort of like broken bone or anything like that. And you get that broken bone, it happens to you, and you're dependent upon everybody for everything. And then all of a sudden, you start to heal up, and you start to feel a little bit more confident, and you forget the people who were present at the time when the bone was broken. And you just move on with your life. God's provision outlined in those three verses, things like water, manna, things like uh, deliverance from Egypt, uh, time in the wilderness, was a gauge of dependence and trust on him. In other words, he's asking, will you keep your heart in the right place if I give something or if I take it away? When God takes the measure of a man or a woman, he does not put a divine measuring tape around their heads to see how much they know. He puts it around their hearts to see how much they obey. A proud heart is one that is on fleshly autopilot. It does its own thing. It goes its own way. It forgets everything that God has given. But a soft heart is one that is bent on obedience. 
So the way we keep our heart in check and avoid prideful hearts is constantly remembering the Lord is the sole reason that you have anything, any wealth, any strength, anything at all. The heart needs to be constantly put back in check. It needs to remember that all of life is a gift from God. Nothing is possible without him. You shall, verse 18, remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the power to be successful. In the ESV, it's the word wealth, and the wealth translates over to success. It is not wealth in regards to monetary gain. It is success in the Hebrew definition. Every moment, church, that we live is a teaching time from God. And we often learn more in the times of adversity than we do in the times of plenty. We have to start welcoming the painful times in our life because that's often when God works the most. And we have to tell our heart that constantly, that God is working in this, that God is working in this, that God is working in this. We saw a lot of guys get laid off in January and even now having problems like getting back to work because of shortages and stuff like that. And at conversations I've had that have taken place, guys have looked at me and said, God is teaching me so much in the times of little. We're depending upon him and him alone. So the heart has to be in the right place. And we can never, verse 19, forget the Lord. A prideful heart led to giving self-praise over the Lord, but also caused one to forget the Lord. When you forget the Lord, it leads to improper worship, specifically worship of idols, which leads to destruction. Now, if Israel wanted an example of national destruction, all they had to do was remember the nations that God destroyed. You have um, examples like Sihon, for those of you that know your Bible, Og, things like that. Moses loved Israel, but he loved more the Lord and was adamant that they eliminate pride by not forgetting who God was and how he operated. One way to never forget the Lord is to reflect on the blessings, as we talked about, to take time to reflect on God's blessings in life and express gratitude for them. Uh, we talked about Psalm 67 a couple weeks ago. This is the Selah, if you will. This is the meditation on the word. We listen to what pleases God and obey it accordingly. James chapter 1, verse 22 says it this way. You're to be doers of the word, not hearers only. Key, ver key words in that verse are, you deceive yourself. You deceive yourself if you're based off of just knowledge and not action. Pastor Jordan, can you get specific? Yeah, absolutely. Five tangible ways to eliminate pride. Now, pride is the greatest danger in the life of the believer. This, for us as Americans, is huge. I'm reading a book right now. It's called Practicing Apathy. We have to move into this apathetic world a little bit to realize our own shortcomings. Number one, practice humility. We already talked about that. Number two, acknowledge and own your own flaws. The biggest way to get rid of pride is, uh, just practice this this week, would you? Look at somebody and just say, a couple words, would you help me? Men, I'm kind of talking to you. Like, we have to get to the point where we just realize that we need help and that we're flawed. For me, this is anything construction related. I do not touch anything construction-wise in my home because it ends badly, right? But for me to put in a phone call to say, I need help, oh, man, that's hard. 
But the hardest part is often just getting it out of my mouth. You have to recognize your weakness and limitations. Moses talks about this with the Israelites. He says, you are weak, you have limitations, and God will help you work on them, but you have to vocalize them. Number three, you need to seek out things from God's perspective and not see them from your own perspective. In other words, don't just read, truly listen and meditate on God's word. But what did God say? Number four, and this is hard for us too, gentlemen, pursue godly feedback. Ladies, I think that's hard for you too as well. Would you amen that? Israel should have listened to Moses because he could be trusted. And why was Moses trusted? Moses was trusted because he pointed people back to the word of God. When I say that you need to pursue godly feedback, it needs to come from people who pursue God's word, not people who live outside of it. The people that Moses is, or excuse me, the people who have Moses speaking into their life, listen to him because he's pointing back to the Lord. He's pointing back to God. Look at verse 18. He says, you remember the Lord your God. It doesn't say, you remember me, Moses, your leader. He says, you remember the Lord. The Lord is good. Godly feedback comes from godly people. Number five, surround yourself with godly influences. Now, so many of you have talked to me about this and you say, I don't have these people in my life. Look around the room. Yes, you do. The real problem is you're not willing to walk across the room and say, I need your help. That's the problem. And if you're listening online and you're thinking to yourself, I don't, I don't have anybody. Hey, we got a seat for you here, first of all. And second of all, pray. Pray like crazy that God would bring godly people into your life. You have to seek out the relationships of people who are humble, supportive, and encourage you to grow in God's word. That's why Moses constantly points back Israel to Joshua. It's amazing. In his leadership, he says, we're not going into that promised land, but your, your next generation, Joshua, you're going. Listen to him. Why? Because he loves the Lord, and he is seeking your best. So elimination of pride is a process. It takes time. It takes effort. It takes reliance. It really is a dependence upon the Holy Spirit in discipline and persistence. And then it is only possible. And it is not me that is able to overcome pride. It is God within me that is able to do these things. He can do far more abundantly than I can ask or imagine. So you get to the end of Deuteronomy 8, and you learn the importance of remembering God's blessings, avoiding pride, staying faithful to the commands. But the journey doesn't end there. You have to put into practice what you've learned. Now, here's the crazy thing, right? I gave you five ways to be humble. I gave you five ways to eliminate pride. Go prove me wrong. Like, that's the best part about being a believer is Jesus constantly looks at us and he says, here, take this, prove it wrong. Have fun. And when we put that into practice, God constantly validates his word over and over and over again. And as you put it into practice, you examine your life, you confess your pride and your forgetfulness, you rededicate yourself to the Lord wholeheartedly, you go from this place and you're determined to say, I will depend not on myself, I'll depend on the Lord and the Lord alone. And then every victory you get this week, you give thanks to God for his blessings, remembering that everything you had came from him. And if the Lord gives away, he's still good. 
If you were obedient and God chose to remove something in your life, he's still good. If you were obedient and God blesses your life in an earthly way, he's good because he's God. And so we strive to live out those truths and be dependent upon God in the process. Let me pray for you. Heavenly Father, so, so sermons are only good if we take them with us and implement them accordingly. Because if, if we don't, it's, it's just lip service. And we're not preaching your words here so they, they just fall on deaf ears. We're not like that. We're not a people like that. We're going to take these words and put them into practice. And the start of putting those into practice is first, first admitting and acknowledging we're not humble people. At least I'm not. I struggle with that. And so we have to put ourselves underneath your authority and say, help me. Help me, Lord, to live this way. Open my eyes, open my ears to live this way. Help me to eliminate pride and realize that I cannot do these things on my own, but I have to do it through the power of the Holy Spirit, be dependent upon you. Some of you are sitting in church this morning on a Sunday in February, and you've never trusted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. You have head knowledge of who he is. You have head knowledge of what he's done. But that head knowledge has not connected to heart transformation. And so this Sunday morning, if you're here today and you don't have a relationship with God through faith and trust in Christ, the first movement for you is to say, God, I realize I'm a sinner, which is a very humble thing to do. And I know I fall short of your glory, which is a removal of pride. And ask God for forgiveness underneath the blood of Christ. He'll do it. He will absolutely do it. Radical transformation starts in the heart. But that has to come from a dependence upon God through faith and trust in Christ. And for those of us who have made that decision, we got to start living like Holy Spirit-led people. And Holy Spirit-led people remember what God has done. And we got to practice that gratitude and put it into practice in every place that we populate. So God, help us to be men and women who strive to live out your word, your will, and your ways. That our heads would not become too puffed up. That our hearts would remain in check. And that our obedience and trust would be solely on you and you alone. May we be the hands and feet of Jesus in all we think, say, and do this week. We believe that it is possible, and we trust you to do the heavy lifting. It's in your name we pray. All God's people said, amen. Thank you for listening to the Community Gospel Church podcast. If you would like to support this ministry financially, simply log on to communitygospelchurch.com and click the Contribute tab.